Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you're having a great day. Our mission here at Open Your Eyes is to help all of us open our eyes a bit more to the possibilities and realities all around us. And that includes the immense potential you have inside to reach your goals. And each week, we try to bring messages to this podcast that will help you do that in real and practical ways. So today, wherever you are as you listen to this podcast, I hope you get a new perspective of how you can think and live better. And if this podcast inspires you a bit, please share it with a friend. It's pretty easy to copy that link, share it, and include a word of encouragement for a friend. That's how we can fulfill our mission a bit more to more people. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about remembering and forgetting. Larry was born in East Lansing, Michigan. His father was a computer science professor at Michigan State University, and growing up, his home was usually a mess with computers, science, and technology magazines all over the place, an environment in which he immersed himself. His older brother taught him how to build a computer, and after high school, Larry knew for sure he wanted to study computer science. And after graduating from the University of Michigan, he was off to Stanford for his graduate degree. The internet was in its infancy at the time, and Larry was fascinated by it. At college, he saw that the library at school had books, and each book had a citation. And he wondered why couldn't websites have the same thing, allowing internet users to use citations or a search-and-find system to locate what they were looking for. At the time, the web consisted of about 10 million documents. He, along with a fellow student named Sergey, developed the mathematical formula that would allow them to crawl across those web documents and determine their links. Together, the two grad students published a research paper called The Anatomy of a Web Search Engine, and the company, founded by Larry Page and Sergey Brin, was born, which they named Google. Well, today, Google is the most visited website in the world. Each month, the website has 90 billion visits. And given the Earth's population is less than 8 billion, this is a staggering number. Google also provides a bunch of other services, including Gmail, Google News, Google Shopping, and many other platforms as well. Google dominates the search engine market and has 92% of the web searches in the world, with about 100,000 searches done per second. Do you know what the most searched word is on Google? YouTube. The second most searched word? Amazon, followed by Facebook and Wordle. Last year, Ukraine was in the top most searched words. Weather, NBA, NFL, Home Depot, and Target also make the list of most searched words at Google. Now, there are a number of sources that cite trending words used in our society today. New words created and trending last year include doom scrolling. Doom scrolling is when you become obsessed with staying up to date with bad news. It's a combination of the noun doom and the verb scroll, and it was made popular by the journalist Karen Ho. Here's an example of how you would use it. 
I was doom scrolling on Twitter today while reading about COVID-19. I think it's why I feel so anxious now. Another word added to the dictionary last year, truthiness. It means something that seems true, but isn't backed up by evidence. It became popular after Stephen Colbert used it on his show. You would use it like this. In this class, you can't speak truthiness and expect to get away with it. And another popular word is fubbing. Fubbing is a term used to describe the act of neglecting someone in your presence by focusing on your phone instead of them. You know, this is more and more common. Another word that became popular this year that's a favorite of mine is goblin mode. A relatively new English word that has recently gained popularity, goblin mode refers to a state of intense focus and productivity, usually when trying to complete a project or task. In this state, a person is able to ignore distractions and make progress on the job at hand. The origin of the phrase is from the video game World of Warcraft, where players have the option of taking on the form of a goblin, a type of small creature that possesses enhanced abilities to focus. The term was then adopted outside of gaming culture and became a popular expression for being productive and focused. Now I say to my grandkids, leave me alone. I'm in goblin mode. And Google and other services track the trends of words, meaning words that have been around for centuries in the English language, but are now gaining or declining in popularity. For example, declining words nowadays include facetious, which describes the situation when someone doesn't take that situation seriously. Other declining words include henceforth, morrow, ostentatious, and kerfuffle. However, I was fascinated to see that one of the words that has been around for centuries and is trending way up in usage in the last two years is the word forget. The origin of the word comes from two meanings. The origin of for means away, amiss, or to lose. And get, which has the original meaning to grasp. To lose, grasp, or lose, care for. Now, we all have things in our life that we've forgotten or lost care for. I can't remember the details of some important conversations or events in my life, and I probably have forgotten these important things because I have not revisited them enough in my mind to remember them like I should. I find as the years go on, things that I do care for can easily be forgotten unless I make an effort to remember them. And there are many things in our lives never to be forgotten. World War I, also known as the Great War, began in 1914 after the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria. His murder catapulted into a war across Europe. Now, during the conflict, Germany, Austria, Bulgaria, and the Ottoman Empire fought against Great Britain, France, Russia, Italy, Canada, Japan, and the United States, called the Allied Powers. And by the time the war was over and the Allied powers claimed victory, more than 16 million people, soldiers and civilians alike, were dead. And to add to these horrible conditions, in 1918, the Spanish influenza epidemic spread across the earth. Almost 21 million people died as a result. Well, after the war, the United States Congress approved the burial of an unidentified American serviceman from World War I in the plaza of the new Memorial Amphitheater in Washington, D.C. The unknown soldier 
brought back from France, was interred below a three-level marble tomb. And before his burial, the unknown lay in state at the Capitol Rotunda. President Harding officiated at the burial. Then Congress authorized the construction of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and the monument was built and finished in 1932. Today, there are four burial spots at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. One unknown from World War I, one from World War II, another from the Korean War, and one tomb is now empty. The fourth and empty tomb once held the remains from a soldier from the Vietnam War, but he was later identified and buried in the Arlington Cemetery. Along with him, there are more than 4,000 unknown soldiers buried at Arlington Cemetery. Now, the inscription over the tomb of the unknown soldier reads, Here rests in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. Guarding the tomb since 1926, 24-7, the sentinels from the Army's 3rd Regiment march and keep watch over the soldier. The sentinel's creed that each soldier takes says, My dedication to this sacred duty is total and wholehearted. In the responsibility bestowed on me, never will I falter. And with dignity and perseverance, my standard will remain perfection. Through the years of diligence and praise and the discomfort of the elements, I will walk my tour in humble reverence to the best of my ability. It is he who commands the respect I protect. His bravery that made us so proud. Surrounded by well-meaning crowds by day, alone in the thoughtful peace of night, this soldier will in honored glory rest under my eternal vigilance. Never to be forgotten. Despite being known only to God, these soldiers walk and honor the fallen soldier. And if you visit Arlington, which I've done, you stand in awe that these soldiers remain so vigilant, walking in the middle of the night with no one watching. I mean, they could take a break and no one would know, but they don't. The sentinel guarding the tomb marches back and forth in front of the tomb, atop a long, narrow carpet. He or she stops and clicks their heels on every turn. At the changing of the guard, however, the three soldiers involved march atop the granite walkway. From the now millions of repetitions of walking and turning on the granite, you can see the worn footprints in the granite where the sentinels turn and click their heels. Their steps are evident in the worn path on the granite stone. These footprints, the presence of the soldier and the tomb itself, helps those visiting to never forget the sacrifices these and other men and women have made so that you and I can enjoy the freedoms we have today. Seeing this, for me, helps me to never forget. The sentinels who guard the tomb served for several years, and in 1994, Sergeant Heather Johnson became the first woman to guard the tomb of the unknown soldier. She said, I can't think of anything I would rather do for my country than guard the tomb of the unknown. It took her, like most sentinels, nine months to pass the tests and earn her place in front of the tomb. Wearing the badge of a sentinel on her uniform is something for which she is extremely proud. Now, I find it remarkable that Heather and others would dedicate years of their life to walk in a monotonous back-and-forth path ensure their uniform and weapon in hand are meticulously manicured, 
and march in snowstorms, rain, and in the middle of the night, all to preserve the memory, to remember a soldier they don't even know. What great lengths, what effort is put forth to never forget. Now, you and I, too, have the opportunity to preserve in our lives things which we should never forget and to put forth dedicated effort to guard and keep those things foremost in our mind and evident in our walk. For example, there are those today in my life and yours who have served us and sacrificed for us so we can be who we are today. And do you and I owe a duty to these people to thank them for their service to you and me? Well, nowadays, it's pretty easy. It only takes a few minutes to leave a text. But by doing so, we can remember what they have done for us. And if you will take a few minutes today to send a message or two to those you remember and do not want to forget and thank them for their friendship or whatever they have done for you, watch what happens inside you when you do this. There is power that will come into you. There's power in your life in remembering. I can't describe it, but I know it's real and tangible. You'll feel it. And given that power, you have to conclude that remembering like this is something divinely appointed. It is a divine character trait to remember. You see, I don't think God forgets. And I suspect he works at remembering. I don't think God forgets us. I know at times it may seem that he has forgotten or is far away from us. But I believe that at every hour of every day, he sees us, remembers us, and is there to help us. Now, there have been times in my life when I've felt forgotten. No doubt when facing an illness or trial or at times in which I'm just lonely or lost, it's easy to think that I'm forgotten. But I know that we are not. In the scripture, the Lord in heaven gives this assurance to you and me. For the mountains shall depart and the hills shall be removed but my kindness shall not depart from thee. I will not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Just like the worn footprints at the tomb of the unknown are graven in the granite, so he remembers us by his sacrifice. And I believe he has walked and paced and guarded the way for you in your life as well. You are not forgotten. You are cared for even in times when you don't feel that you are. And you have within you the power to help those you remember to know that they are cared for and watched and important to you. There is power when we feel, we know, we see that we are not forgotten. Now, for many of us, this time of year is the time in which we remember those who have sacrificed and given of themselves and their lives so that we can live the life we live today. And to pause and remember is the gift we give to them in return. William Henry Christman was born in 1844 in Lehigh County, Pennsylvania, to his parents, Jonas and Mary. As a child, William with his family moved and settled at the base of the Pocono Mountains. When his older brother Barnabas went off to fight in the Civil War and later died in battle, William assumed the lead for contributing to the subsistence of the family. His father, Jonas, had a number of physical disabilities, so William, at the age of 16, provided for his family, including his parents and six children. But not many years later, 
duty called, and he was enlisted to fight for the Union Army in the war. The records say William enlisted as a soldier in the Army of the United States of America for three years. Upon enlistment, he became a private. His enlistment papers describe him as having gray eyes, sandy hair, and a florid complexion. His height is recorded to be five feet, seven and one half inches. On April 7, 1864, Private Christman wrote a now famous letter to his mother and father. And in that letter, he said with rather poor spelling, I like it very good we have enough to eat and drink and more about want for the present time. So please excuse my poor writing for I have to write on a plate so I can't write as good as I ate. On April 22nd, Private Christman was stricken with rubella, or the measles, and with his worsening condition, he was admitted to Lincoln General Hospital. Healthcare, sanitary conditions, and nutrition were less developed at the time, and it's not surprising that more men and women died in the Civil War of illness and disease than from injuries. For 11 days, he fought the measles, but he would eventually pass away from the disease. Well, in April 1861... Robert E. Lee committed his allegiance to the Confederacy and resigned his commission from the U.S. Army. And with this action, he no longer felt it was safe for he and his wife to live at Arlington House, their Virginia mansion across from the Potomac River from Washington. And when the Lees left their home, federal troops moved in to occupy the 1,100-acre estate. As the war's mortal casualties mounted, Logistically convenient cemeteries and available burial locations quickly filled. So the decision was made to create a military cemetery on the grounds surrounding Arlington House. On May 13, 1864, Private William Henry Christman was laid to rest at Arlington National Cemetery. He was the first soldier buried at Arlington. Now, I find it remarkable that the first person to be buried at Arlington didn't have a miraculous war story, didn't have a long list of extraordinary or distinguished medals, but was simply a good young man who left his life and family at home and served his country with honor. He died in an army hospital alone. But today, his story lives on, and he is not forgotten for what he gave to his country. Likewise, You and I may not have an extraordinary story, but we can in our ordinary lives remember those around us and help them not to feel forgotten. We can remember the legacy of freedom we enjoy regardless of where we live, and we can remember those who have sacrificed for us and for our freedom. We can remember the source of all freedom and show our love for Him as well. You know, the word remember or its variants appear 550 times in the Bible, and I think for good reason, because remembering is much of what we need to do to make our life remarkable. Now, this leads us back to the word that is rising in popularity of late, forget. Why is the word forget being used more frequently in our world today? Could it be that remembering and gratitude and honor are becoming less and less important in our world today? That Google and doom scrolling and truthiness and fubbing are becoming more and more of what consumes our time and our day? Are we becoming a people who honor less and are consumed in our own way of thinking and being, so much so that we leave little room for remembering, 
Well, if so, then perhaps you and I could do well to pause at this time of year and read and pay attention and honor those who gave us our freedom and our life and blessed us with who we are and what we have today. You know, just a few months ago, I visited the 9-11 Memorial in New York City again. Atop the memorial reads the words, we will never forget. When he was a kid, Wells Crowther's dad gave him a red bandana that became his trademark. He always had one with him, whether playing sports in high school or learning the ropes as an equities trader for the Sandler O'Neill Company on the 104th floor of the South Tower. When the plane struck that tower and dust and smoke and debris engulfed him, he wore the bandana over his nose as he moved down the stairs to the 78th floor lobby. Later, witnesses would say this tall, calm man in a red bandana was telling those who could to stand and those who could help others to do that as well. He led them to the stairwell, carrying an injured woman on his back, then left them to the other heroes on the 61st floor and went back up to find more survivors. He would die in the tower. Years later, then-President Barack Obama would say, they didn't know his name, they didn't know where he came from, but they knew their lives had been saved by a man wearing a red bandana. He tended to the wounded, he led those survivors down the stairs to safety, and carried a woman on his shoulders down the flights of stairs. Then he went back. His body was found months later in the wreckage with a group of firefighters killed by the tower's collapse. Posthumously, in 2006, he became an honorary New York City firefighter. Now, when the plane first hit the North Tower, those working in the South Tower were told they weren't in danger and to keep working. But Rick Rescorla, vice president of security at Morgan Stanley, didn't trust that advice. The 62-year-old ignored the advice and ushered employees down the stairwell. He got his people out safely, then went back up the stairs to make sure that no one had been left behind. His biography at the 9-11 Memorial says, just 13 Morgan Stanley employees or consultants died, including Rescorla. His body was never found, and President Trump would later honor him with the Presidential Citizens Medal. Michael Benfante, then 36, was a branch manager at Network Plus when the passenger jet crashed into the North Tower. He told his team of sales reps to take the stairs and get out of the building. But on the 68th floor, he spotted a small group of women who were not leaving. That's when he discovered that Tina Hansen used a motorized wheelchair and could not evacuate without help. He and one of his sales reps carried her down all 68 flights of stairs. After they turned Hansen over to the medical crews outside, the two men had to dive under a truck for safety as the tower collapsed completely. Abe Zelmanowitz, 56, stayed behind on the 27th floor of the North Tower with his close friend, Ed, who used a heavy motorized wheelchair after losing all four of his limbs in a diving accident. Abe answered each entreaty to evacuate with, I'm staying with my friend. And Abe and Ed were among the 13 Blue Cross Blue Shield employees who died in the terrorist attack. Now, these are just a few of the many stories that help us Remember, those who have given so much in the spirit of helping others, in the spirit of preserving what makes us great as a people. So take some time this day and this week to do a bit of work so you will not forget. Work a little bit each day 
on not forgetting who and what is important. Now, with all this talk about remembering and still contemplating the question of why the word forget is becoming more and more popular, perhaps there are things that we should, in fact, forget. Perhaps it's time to forget our age, whether old or young. If we could forget our age and act as if it were not important, maybe we would try and do and be something other than what we think we can. We could surely forget our past, or at least many parts of our past that tend to define us in poor ways, and perhaps by doing so, we could find greater joy. You know, despite our current shortcomings or the things we don't like about our life, we can still find joy in who we are and what we do. We could forget the injustices done to us by others. We could forget our own failings, the wrongs done to us that were not our own fault, the wrongs done to us by things we did that were our fault, or our sins, or lingering grievances, and the things that hold us back from letting go and moving on in our lives. There is tremendous power in forgiving and forgetting. There is power in forgetting who on your team did you wrong, and simply remembering your team helped you win. There's power in forgetting the times you failed in the moment and remembering the fact that you eventually prevailed. You know, for more than 200 years, West Point, an institution filled with a tradition of excellence, has observed a curious tradition on graduation day. The last ranking cadet to make it through graduation is anointed the goat, showered with praise, and given a dollar from every other fellow graduate, roughly $1,000 in total, and granted the biggest applause at the graduation ceremony. For years, this tradition has continued, and many goats, including Civil War hero George Custer, are members of the Goat Club. Are they awarded for their academic achievements, athletic prowess, or military skills? No. All that is remembered is that they did, in fact, graduate. This is a shining example of forgetting their class rank and remembering their final accomplishment. You know, I remember many of the miracles in my life, but I tend to forget that many of those miracles happened or were needed because I had made mistakes. So many of my miracles came wrapped in packages labeled big fat mistakes. And without the mistake or the setback, I would never have had the miracle. Forget what hurt you, but never forget what taught you. Yes, there is power in forgetting and remembering. As the saying goes, memories play a very confusing role in life. They make us laugh when we remember the times we cried, but make us cry when we remember the times we laughed. So, as we end today, remember, take a few minutes today to Send a message or two to those you remember and don't want to forget and thank them for their friendship or whatever they've done for you. And watch what happens inside you when you do this. There is power that will come to you. There is power in remembering. At this time of year, remember those who have given so much for you and me. Remember your place, your God, your friends, your blessings, talents, gifts, and your duty. Guard these things with your diligence and daily march. And forget a few things, like your age, your sins, your mistakes, wrongdoings to you, people who offended you, and all the things that keep you from being free. And remember the good outcomes that come from those mistakes and people, and watch. 
you will live a happier and more memorable life as a result. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.